Well, it's another interesting thing to think about four different gospel writers, each one telling the story of Jesus and his ministry from their own perspective. We're chosen Mark's gospel here to preach through. One reason I just, I've always wanted to do it. I've had this desire. Don't ever, don't ask me why. I don't even know. I just thought I want to do this. Uh, but I've not done it for several years. But I finally said, here we go. I'm going to do this. Um, I think another reason sometimes is, uh, <laughs> and don't laugh, Mark moves kind of fast. But I don't move. I don't, I don't tend to move as fast as Mark did, but I try. So uh, I thought, well, we won't take, you know, two or three or four or five years to work through a gospel. Well, that remains to be seen. Um, but I've enjoyed this study so far, and I've learned a few things that um, I didn't know. And, you know, it just, again, being enamored with these things that God has put in his word and shown to us and taught and, and is really is to teach us what he wants to know about himself. I titled this message this morning, really simple, just praying Preaching and cleansing in Galilee. I couldn't. Yes, when I sit down to study, I, I have two objects uh, that I have a hard time getting over. Number one is just coming up with a title. <laughs> I spend more time doing that, just sitting there thinking about it. Well, I just get real creative and do something simple like that. The other thing is I can spend more time on the first verse before I get started than you can ever imagine. Uh, but finally, once it gets rolling, then things start coming and off we go. So we've moved through a lot of territory already, even though it's taken us a while to get here, in laying the groundwork, as Mark has done it for us, in the preparatory ministry of announcing the coming of the Messiah uh, and his baptism, his temptation in the wilderness, his... uh, preaching of the the gospel of the kingdom and the calling of his four disciples and then his his teaching ministry and which they were obviously amazed at because he taught with authority and not like the scribes an astounding thing and casting out of demons and his healing ministry and he gives us two aspects of that a private ministry in Peter's home and a public ministry at the doorstep of Peter's home and multitudes of people coming to him. Well, now we find another aspect of his ministry as we begin in verse 35 where he, where he moves out and in, in outside the bounds of the city for prayer. And he tells us there that uh, in the morning... Or so we're just the very next day. So a lot of things have happened already. All of these things I mentioned previously about when he began preaching the gospel of the kingdom and calling his four disciples and so on basically took place in one day. And then the very next day, he found this great need for prayer. And he arose early in the morning. Now the scripture here gives us a, an interesting double on this thing. It says, number one, in the morning, and number two, having risen a long while before daylight. It's, a, it's an interesting uh, expression that he talks about here. Uh, the word in the morning, 
uh, is just a word that has to do with the, the last watch of the night. Now, you know that they, there were four watches. They began at uh, six in the evening, went to nine o'clock, then nine to 12, then 12 to three. And then the last watch was from three to six in the morning. So this is just a general term here. From sometime between three and six in the morning, Jesus got up early. And then the next phrase tells us that it was still dark out. You know, during that three-hour period was daybreak. Sun was starting to come up, and it was beginning to get daylight. But this word here emphasizes it was still dark. As a matter of fact, uh, I think the ESV and and the Holman and the New American and NIV and some of those uh, state that it was... um, that it was still dark out, or while it was still dark, he arose to pray. I find that significant. You know, sometimes we think, well, we got to go pray before the event happens. But in this particular case, after a big, big, busy day uh, that Jesus had in healing and exercising and demons and, and teaching in the synagogue, that the, it was after that, that he was pressed to find a need to pray. And this word, well, it says there he went out to a solitary place. You know, and the word there is translated wilderness and many other, probably most often translated wilderness. But it just means a desolate place. It means where there wasn't anybody. He was alone. He wanted to be by himself. And when he prayed, it was, this is a general term, he prayed to pros, that little preposition pros, he prayed toward, he prayed to the Father. And that's all he did. He didn't have or practice at this point intercessory prayer. He didn't do as we did just a few moments ago in taking prayer requests and bowing in prayer and praying for the needs of others. This was a time of prayer where he just wanted to get out and get alone with, with his father. And I hope, I hope that you, you do that. I hope that you spend time in prayer, not just praying for the needs of other people. I think I expressed to you uh, several years ago, it's been quite a few years ago, I guess, that as I came to that kind of a crossroads in my life where I began to see the Bible as not just facts, not just a building of knowledge and accumulating things about God and about the Word of God and about Jesus and so on. But there came a time when I wanted to know God in in a personal experience, in in an experiential way, on a day-by-day basis. I called it snuggling up to God. And I just told God, that's what I want to do. I just want to get up. I want to be like the psalmist. I want to crawl under your wings. And I'd like to put your wings over me, Lord. And I want to know how near you are to me and how close. And it's a transforming experience when you want to be near the Lord. It'll change the way you walk as a Christian. It's more than just gaining facts and knowledge about the Bible. 
I've referred several times about how Jack expressed that, because it's just a fascinating one to me. He just said, one day I fell in love with Jesus. I'd been a believer for many, many years, but one day I fell in love with Jesus. Well, that's what we need to do. We need to fall into that place where we desire a unique walk with the Lord. And and I don't want to say this in a selfish way, but take in the life that he wants to freely give us. Now, sure, we, we've taken the life of Christ we, when we believed on the Lord and accepted him as our Savior. We've gained life, as it were, as a gift. But there is a full measure of life that he wants to dispense to us in a daily walk. He calls it a more abundant life in John chapter 10. Well, Jesus sought that. He was looking for a meeting with his father. And he went out to meet with him in a lonely, deserted place. Now, I don't know exactly where he went. If you, I was trying to get the aerial view of Capernaum up here. I had it, but it was too little. I, I couldn't, and I couldn't get the thing to enlarge. But, you know, it was a, it's a cultivated area. There were farms all around in that area. And, of course, on one side you had the Sea of Galilee. Um, you had this small village of Capernaum, which maybe they say 1,500 people. But then you had these hills with these ravines around, you know, where water would run off into the lake and so on. It may be that he went out into one of those places. It may be that he sought a private place out in one of those fields. I don't really know where he went. I just know this, that he wanted to be out away from people. And he wanted to be with his father. And that's a worthwhile thing. It pays rich dividends when you want to as it were, crawl under those outspread wings, as the psalmist says in Psalm 91 or 90, whichever, I never remember them, and just be there. Just be there with your heavenly Father. He went out into this solitary, deserted place, and it says, and there he prayed. I'm trying to imagine in my own mind, Peter's house. You know, you got Peter, his wife, and his mother-in-law. And then you had three other disciples. And apparently they all stayed in that same house. Spent the night there. So, here he gets up before everyone else does. Slips out of the house, unbeknownst to them, while it's still dark out. And goes out to pray. Well, finally... You know, they all wake up and they're looking around and wondering, where did he go? And so guess who gets up a search party but Peter? And it says, Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Now, the word searched is, the Greek word behind it means to search intently. I mean, they went out on a big hunt to find Jesus. And it says, when it says, they who were with him, um, you know, he doesn't say that it's just the disciples. The indication is there may have been others hanging around the door waiting for Jesus and found out he was already gone. And 
whatever, they were all out looking for him and wanting to know where he was. Well, eventually they found him in verse 37. And they said, everyone is looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. They wanted to know where he was. Why? Well, if you got any indication here um, of this passage, one of the key things they wanted was his healing ministry. But they were also fascinated by his teaching ministry and the word of God. They were drawn to him. But Jesus had other plans. You know, just having healing and casting out of demons and so on was not exactly why he came. These things followed upon his teaching. They were meant to validate his ministry. And so he tells them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. Well, um, there were a lot of little towns and villages around the area of Galilee. And he tells us there that he taught in the synagogues. So all of these little villages or hamlets each had a synagogue. And we mentioned uh, either last week or the week before that it was an objective of the Lord and it, and it, and it provided a, a really just a, an opportune place for Jesus to stop in, visit the synagogue on the Sabbath, and as the custom was, when the ruler of the synagogue or the one in charge of the service for that day would see someone come in, uh, they would give him an opportunity to speak. We couldn't do that here, could we? (laughs) Cut loose. Anybody got want an opportunity to speak? And so they invited Jesus, and he would take advantage of that opportunity to teach and preach the kingdom of God when he was in the synagogues. You one can only imagine what kind of a ministry that was with his four disciples following him around everywhere they went. It's a present tense indicating that they must have been on some kind of an extended tour. It took them quite a while, maybe several months, to go out and preach as they did. But what I like is he says, for this purpose, I have come forth. I have been, uh, Luke's Uh, account says, I have been sent. There was a purpose in God sending his son to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And make no mistake, when he says gospel of the kingdom, we should be thinking about that kingdom which his own son would be ruling over. This is not just some some phrase that we want to lightly pass over, as many do, and never really give a thought to what this kingdom is. And so we find in verse 39 there, where this is where he tells us he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. You know, there's some, just some fascinating things here. It doesn't say one thing about healing. 
Now, the day before, when he was at Peter's doorstep at sundown, just after six o'clock, they were all crowded around Peter's doorstep and Jesus was healing them and laying his hands, Luke said, on every one of them, touching them. I find it remarkable, again, that Jesus always wanted to maintain a social contact with the ones he was healing by touching them. And he didn't hold back from anybody. I mean, he, whatever the malady was, he would touch them. Of course, he didn't have to worry about it, being the pure son of God. He wasn't about to come down with any disease. It wasn't for his sake. It was for the sake of those he was healing that he touched them. So we have this praying ministry. We have this preaching ministry, this preaching in all throughout Galilee and proclaiming of the gospel, the casting out of demons. You know, when you, when you read a phrase like that, and he doesn't mention anything about the sick. It was very revealing to us, I think, because it tells us again, and I mentioned this earlier, it tells us again what the spiritual condition of Israel was like in Jesus' day. Could you imagine centuries earlier, many centuries earlier, When the children of Israel had gone into the land of Canaan to take possession of it, and they had subdued all the enemy, when Joshua 11 says they had rest from war, and God was functioning as their king, that there was a minimal amount at the very best, and I know there was demon activity there because they didn't drive all the enemy out like they were supposed to. They hadn't accomplished that at this point yet. But to come down to this point, centuries later, having departed from God, and now the land is filled with people who are possessed by demons. And he went about casting out demons all over the place. All over in Galilee, even down in in Judea, besides healing the sick. Israel was not in a great shape spiritually when Jesus arrived on the scene. And then this last thing, he tells us there that He proceeded to cleanse a leper. A leper came to him. Now, I mentioned that they went out on this preaching tour throughout the towns and villages all throughout Galilee. Probably took several months. Inasmuch as they could only go into the synagogue on the Sabbath... And of all that traveling and all that ministry, they only record one account of anything that went on in the way of a miraculous thing, and it was the cleansing of this leper. 
one item. I find that remarkable as well. I think it has a lot to do with Mark and his gospel. And this leper came to him. Now, this word leper in the English is just from the Greek word leprous. It's a transliteration. It's not a translation. And I think that indicates to us that it was, in all likelihood, a real leper. Now, we know that from the Old Testament, Leviticus 14, that leprosy was often termed to be all different kinds of skin diseases. It wasn't just leprosy. But here, this very word means uh, scaly, just like uh, leprosy would be on a person. <clears throat> and it was an awful disease. Leprosy eats at your flesh if it's left untreated which of course in Jesus' day there wasn't anybody who could treat leprosy except him and it would just eat the flesh till the limbs would fall off and then they would die there was nothing you could do for them I remember reading this book some time back about a guy who was a doctor who worked in, in India as a missionary ministry, and that was his specialty, hand surgery for lepers. And there is a leper colony, by the way, here in, in America. I don't know if you knew about that one. I think it's in Louisiana. Everybody know about that? Nobody? I'm pretty sure it's in Louisiana. There's a leper colony here in America. One that I know about anyway. It's not a pleasant thing to have. And consequently, leprosy was looked upon as a defilement. It wasn't necessarily looked upon as a disease the way we think of it. Matter of fact, the modern term that we use is Hansen's disease. That's, that's the modern term that we call leprosy. But a leper was considered to be defiled. And so the uniqueness of this thing here then is that when this leper approached Jesus, he came with a supreme measure of faith. He never questioned anything about what Jesus' ability was was in healing him. He said he, he came and imploring him, beseeching him, urging him, Jesus, if you will, if you want to, you can make me clean. And of course, you'll notice there right away, he didn't say, Jesus, you could heal me. It's cleanse me. Make me clean. Because he was viewed as being defiled. Nobody wanted to touch a leper because that would automatically make them defiled. But you know, when you have something that's holy, like Jesus, touching something that's defiled, it doesn't work the other way with him. It doesn't defile him. It works the opposite. He works cleansing. And so that's what he did. 
He says, kneeling, imploring him, urging him, kneeling down to him. That was the typical posture for one who was approaching a superior and, ha- and having an urgent plea or requesting a need was to bow down with his head bowed. But really, depending on the, on the level of superiority of the one they were kneeling down to, but the idea was to get as low as you could. And so he comes and bows down to Jesus looking for healing. He wants cleansing. And so when he bows down, he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You know, he didn't question the ability of Jesus one whit as far as his ability to cleanse, his power, his, his dunamis to cleanse him. And he said in verse 41, Jesus moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. Did you know that in the scriptures... In the New Testament, that's not said of anybody but Jesus. Unless Jesus was telling a parable and he talked about someone else having compassion, like the good, the good Samaritan. I find that remarkable. He had compassion. That word compassion has that... F- yeah, I know you've, you've heard about these things in the scriptures, especially in the King James, that talks about bowels of mercy. <laughs> it's not a real pleasant sounding word, but you know how it feels when you come across a scene or a situation that touches you so deeply that it, it just gets you right here. Well, that, that's exactly the meaning of this word, Compassion. And it's exactly the kind of thing that Jesus felt. He had an emotional experience as he looked upon this one who was making an appeal to him and urging him to heal him, to cleanse him of this dreaded disease, this dreaded defilement that was ostracizing him from all the rest of the society around him with nothing to do with him. I know you. when we've all seen the, the, the scenes of You know, the guy walking around with a cloth over his mouth, hollering, unclean, unclean, unclean. Warning the people around him to don't come touch me. Because that's how leprosy was looked upon, as something being unclean. And so he looks out at him with compassion. And he feels for this guy. The way you and I would feel when we have compassion upon someone. You know, sometimes I think that we think Jesus only operated up here in the head. I know men, we like, sometimes we're like that. We tend to think cognitively all the time up here. I had a guy tell me that one time. You know, everything you think about is right up there. It's all in your brain. You, don't, you need to get something down here in your heart. Well, I'd like to think that it's I've made some transition down here. I've gotten some feeling as a part of my life to feel for things and feel for people and feel compassion. 
And some find that a whole lot easier than others. Well, being moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him. No lack on his part, whether the guy was defiled or not, he reached out and touched him. This wasn't the part that healed him. This wasn't the part that cleansed him. This was the part that made a social contact with this man who was desirous of having Jesus show him some compassion. What healed him was what happened next. He said, I am willing to be cleansed. And the next verse says, as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him. It was the spoken word. It was the spoken word, be cleansed, that caused the leprosy to leave him. Now, can you imagine just, I I just, in my mind, I'm thinking these guys, you know, all the disciples standing around watching this whole thing. And Jesus says, be cleansed. And right before their eyes, this guy's hands and everything, the leprosy just goes away. He's made whole. He's a complete person. Now, I'm... I'm convinced that all of this is picturesque to teach us about what, not just Jesus and his message, but what his full intent is in his kingdom. Because in his kingdom, there will be no leprosy. And there will be no need to cast out demons. And there will be no need to heal the sick. And when he went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom and performing all these things upon these people, it was a signal to them, a sign to them that if you believe in me, this is what it's going to be like for you permanently. They only got to enjoy this, we would assume, till the end of their life. To be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Well, it says there in the next verse, he strictly, strictly warned him and sent him away at once. He warned him to don't say anything to anybody. But first, go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And you find that in Leviticus 14 also. He was telling him, be obedient to the law, to the things that Moses taught, and give them thanks as a testimony to them for what the Messiah has done for you. And then finally in verse 45, he did the exact opposite. He went out and began to 
announce it everywhere and tell everybody what had happened and caused no little problems for the Lord because he wasn't able to teach and preach the way he had intended to because it tells us there they came to him from every direction. So he went out and began to teach it, proclaim it everywhere, what Jesus had done. And um, it says there that, at least in my translation, I'm going to assume probably yours too, it says uh, he, that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city. But there's no article there. I think it indicates to us that he couldn't enter any city of Galilee. Because of how far and wide this man had spread the news about what Jesus had done for him. Not in Capernaum but in those little hamlets and villages in the surrounding area. And he said he could no longer no longer enter the a city but was outside in deserted places. Now that phrase deserted places that's the same one we found back there in verse 35 when it says Jesus went out to a solitary place. He couldn't go anywhere publicly. Because of what this one man, one man, had done to his ministry. And he was trying to get the focus off of the healing and the cleansing and the casting for the preaching. The preaching and teaching of the gospel of the kingdom. And they came to him, it says, from every direction, every place. Now, Over in uh, Luke chapter 4, there's a little bit more information added to this account. And I want us to look at that. Luke chapter 4 and verse 42. It says there in verse 42, Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. In other words, they stay here at Capernaum, Jesus. Don't be going out there in all these other villages. They wanted him to stay there. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. Now notice the phrase, the kingdom of God. I must preach the kingdom of God. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Now, if you look at Mark's account, you remember he said there, he he taught. So he was teaching and preaching in the synagogues. And finally then, in verse uh, chapter 5 and verse 1, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. I just want us to notice there that how frequently, and I mean, I'm not saying frequently here, but I'm saying the scripture does do this frequently. It takes something like a phrase like the kingdom of God 
And then later they abbreviate it and he just calls it the word of God. But it's the same message. You find the same thing over in Matthew chapter 13 when it says that uh, Jesus was teaching them about the word of the kingdom. And then later on it just says the word. And you and I do the same thing all the time. We do exactly the same thing. When we're speaking with one another and we're having a conversation, we know what our context is. We don't want to just you know, wear ourselves out repeating that same phrase over and over, so we will, we'll abbreviate it and make it easier to communicate. The same thing's going on here. What I'm trying to point out from that is, is simply this, is that when Jesus was in this ministry in Galilee, and he was teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God, When you read the scriptures, whether it's in the rest of the Gospels, whether it's in the book of Acts, whether it's in Paul's epistles, whether it's in the later epistles, the general epistles, wherever it is, when it talks about the gospel of the kingdom or the word of God or the word or any other such abbreviation, there is never a deviation from the message. It is consistently the same message all the way through the scriptures, and it never changes. And I find that to be significant because we want to do damage to the gospel by abbreviating the gospel and leaving off the message about the kingdom and just talk about this wonderful grace of Jesus in saving us from our sins so they won't have to go to hell and we can go to heaven. And then that's it. Don't need to do anything else. There's nothing more. And I think we showed a couple weeks ago from the life of Peter and Jeff, Jeff followed up with it the following week later said the same thing that here was Peter He met the Lord Jesus in Matthew's account in chapter 4. He was introduced to the Lord and was declared to him to be the Messiah. And he received him. Somewhere near at least several months later and maybe a year later, we come to Mark's account as well as Matthew and Luke's account before we find them being called forth to leave their fishing business and become disciples. And all I'm saying there then is that there is a distinction between being a disciple and just being saved, just meeting Jesus, just believing in him. Just believing in the cross. There's more to it than that. And there came a point of time of surrender on the part of those disciples to follow Jesus. And believe me, we read what Mark's favorite word there. They didn't hesitate when he called. It says immediately they left their nets and followed him. And that's his call today. That's his call. That's the calling 
of a Christian is to surrender it all to him and follow Jesus. Know that you belong to him. Be one of his. And realize that there is more to the Christian life than just, quote, you know, being saved. These people here in this final account that we're looking here in chapter one, before we finally get to chapter two, they came to Jesus from all over the place, it says. They didn't just come to hear or see him heal and cast out demons. But in Luke chapter five, it says they pressed about him to hear the word of God. And that's that's an encouragement to me. Because I find that, you know, if, if you didn't have anything else to read but this, you would think that they were just hunting down Jesus trying to find him so that he could he could either heal them or they could just stand there and watch him heal on everybody else and say, man, look at that. These wonderful miracles this guy's doing. We've never seen anything like this. But no. There was such a dearth of spiritual life in Israel at this time that because of the teaching of the word of God, which Jesus brought forth, they were hungry, hungering for what he had to say. And I think that that speaks volumes to how it ought to be with us, that there ought to be a thirsting and and a constant hungering. To, to know what is the Lord saying to me. Because he does want to speak to you. And he wants to speak to me. He wants us to speak to him. He wants us to meet with him in prayer, as Jesus did, and fellowship with him. For no other reason than just be with, be with him. You don't have to be there to start, get your list out, get your prayer book open, start going down the list and saying, well, I'm going to pray for everybody. And we do this day in and day out, week in and week out, and we pray, 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 and we do all these things. But you know what? The Lord would be very, very pleased if we would just approach him just for the sake of being with him, just like his heavenly father. Sometimes I, and I, I'm stuck in this trap myself. I mean, sometimes when I go to pray and I, and I, and I, I do this, I mean, I do, I'll, I'll go and pray and, and I'll just spend a lot of time just praying over, um, thanking the Lord for being who he is and, and what he's done in my life and how he's changed me and just communing with him and thinking about all the things that, and trying to tell the Lord how I, you know, feel. This thing down here, telling the Lord how you feel. I remember when I first started doing that, it felt weird. It was a strange move for me to go transition from just this praying, you know, about people and things and fix this and do that and and then just spending time with the Lord. But it's what he desires. And he wants that from you and me.
I want to challenge you to do that. I want to challenge you to get on your knees, get alone in a solitary place, away from other people where you won't be disturbed. Sometimes I know it's hard. We have a I won't say a big house, but we've got a lot of rooms. And sometimes I think I'll walk around looking for a place. This, where can I go? You know, to get alone. But you can do it. And just find a place to be all by yourself. And then just spend time with Jesus. If nothing else. And you'll come away delighted. And spiritually warmed. Because you've been with him. That's, that's my take on verse 35. And that little phrase, he prayed. Nothing more, nothing. By the way, well, I can't go there. The psalmist said the same thing. The psalmist David said the same thing. Oh, just to be in your presence. When the Jews would go to the temple and they would go into, they, you know, that whole idea was to be able to get in to the most closest inner court that they could get because the closer they got, the closer they were to the presence of Jehovah or Yahweh. It was to be near him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have such a desire to be with your people, with your creation. You made us in your image, Father, so that we could have fellowship with you, so that we could be near you. And I thank you that you have shown us in Scripture that your ultimate desire and the ultimate end of your plan is to bring this earth and us to a place where we can live in constant fellowship with you. I pray, Father, that you would move in our hearts in this way, that our lives would be so transformed that we would fall in love with Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.